Thank you, worship team. And it is the desire of our hearts to know Him, to know Him, to truly know Him and know Him more. And one aspect to that is we can come to Him at any time. We know who we are. We're sinners that need the grace of God. So I'd ask you to join me as we confess our sin together this morning, knowing that to the Lord God, to Jesus Christ, is the only one we can go because He's the only one who has brought forgiveness. So join me, if you would, with this prayer today. Gracious God and Father, we bow before you as Lord and Savior of all. We confess to you that we have sinned in thought, word, and deed. We ask that you would wash us with your blood and make us clean. Though our sins are like scarlet, cleanse us and make us white as snow. We ask that you would separate us from our sins as far as the east is from the west. We will praise you through all eternity for your goodness, grace, and mercy. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Let's as well this morning proclaim what we believe. Confess it, and we'll use the words of the Apostles' Creed as we have so often done. But again, may it not just be words we say. May it truly come from our hearts this morning as well. So join me if you would. Let's proclaim it together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from where he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. This morning we'll have the children's message. I don't see, I know most of them are off with the Sunday school, but you guys are big kids, right? As we go along. As we go that way. So I need you guys to know the ABCs as we go along here too. We're going to do an A word. Do you guys have any A words for me that you think we might use today? I have it written down already, what I'm going to use. But any A words in Scripture? Awesome. It is there in our English translations. An awesome God. Almighty. Adoration. I heard another one. Alpha would be a good one. I chose none of those. (laughs) There's a lot of A words as we go along. And by the way, names are going to be a part of things as we go through the A through Z. But the word I chose for today, actually I'm going to do two for A. But the first word I chose was ark. Since we're going to start at the beginning, it's probably a good thing to go back to the ark. Because when we hear the word ark, we think initially of the ark that God had Noah build. As God does... God decided to judge all of mankind. But it was the ark that saved Noah and his family. (laughs) The the eight people that were saved in the ark. And it's a picture of that salvation. Now, there are two other arks in Scripture. What are the two other arks? Ark of the Covenant. That's where God came to meet with the people in the Holy of Holies. But you know what the other ark is? You have to go back to the King James a little bit. Moses was put in an ark. He was put in the basket. 
that brought about that salvation for him as well from um, what Pharaoh was doing by killing the children. So I thought about that and I thought, we've got to do another A word for the kids and we're going to do apple. <laughs> Ark and apple. You know where apple is brought up in Scripture? Not, not Adam and Eve, just so you know. That was just the fruit. We don't know whether it was an apple or not. It talks about Israel as being the apple of God's eye. Do you realize that we're the apple of God's eye? He desires that we would know Him. So when you think of the ark, it's the salvation that God brought. It's that picture of salvation to save Noah and his family. It's a picture of Jesus Christ. And you and I are the apple of His eye. He wants to know that. Let's uh, continue today by giving to God with our tithes and offerings. The ushers will come up and, and Angela, if you would share with us today. to share a little bit about this piece before I play it so that you can get as much out of it as, as I do. Um, this is Isaiah's Sonata number 4, the second movement, and he modeled his solo sonatas for the violin off of the ones by J.S. Bach. Um, and this has three notes that are repeated throughout. And they're always followed by this. Um, kind of, so there's always kind of a tension throughout the piece that is not resolved till the very end. Um, and I think of that as kind of as our, um, it reminds me of our lives and the constant struggle that we have um, as Christians. We have a sin nature, and yet we are made in God's image, and we yearn to be with him. He is there throughout all of the times in our lives, the joyful times and the challenging times, the hard times and the peaceful times. Um, and he is constant, and he is faithful throughout all of that, um, even though our journey, our spiritual journey, never fully resolves until we are with God in heaven someday.
Thank you so much, Angela. Do you realize how blessed we are to get to hear the music that we get to hear and to worship our Lord and Savior? And what a great picture of the dissonance in our lives and then brought to that final chord. If we know Him, it leads us to the end. And we know who wins in the end. We're trusting Him. If you'd open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians um, chapter 8, I'm going to read that scripture for you and you notice that the title of the message today is uh, Knowledge Plus Love as I read the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 8, reading in Jesus' name this morning. It says, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, um, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things are sorry, sorry, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged? If his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak. You sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Heavenly Father, this is your word. Sanctify us again in the truth of this word. Help us to understand in, in some way what you have for us here. And Lord, help us to not only know the right stuff, but Lord, to allow you, O Holy Spirit, to work. We need your help to even do that, God. Bring that to us again today. Use your word in our lives. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. I've entitled this Knowledge Plus Love. <laughs> And I think you caught those words in there a little bit as we went along, or at least the knowledge word. Um, one of the places that, one of the periodicals that I get regularly is Reader's Digest. And I'll be honest with you, the reason I get Reader's Digest mainly is so I can read the, uh, the jokes. Although it's fun to do the stories and different things that way. But uh, I was reading a Reader's Digest a while back, and this was things that people were sending in. And uh, this, this person wrote, they said, the, Traveling through the Midwest, I stopped at an Ohio Welcome Center to pick up a state map. 
I found plenty of brochures, but no maps. Then I spotted two employees and I asked whether they they had any maps. And sure, said the first guy, I'll go get you one. And, And as he walked to the back, the second guy explained to me, he said, we keep the maps in the storage room. If we leave them out on the counter, people just come in and take them. Now, wouldn't we want to have the knowledge and things that way? Another person wrote this and they said, I tacked up a flyer on the street that proclaimed, take what you need. And at the bottom were those tear-off things, you know. Take what you need, it said on there. And these were the tear-offs. Passion, strength, love, patience, cookies, and courage, and so forth. Do you know what the first strips that were taken completely off? Cookies and love. (laughs) People need cookies and love, I guess. (laughs) We need knowledge, but the people in Corinth, and we as well, need not only the knowledge about God, but we need to know the love of God as well. See, the issue here that he brings up to do this with is the fact that food was being sacrificed to idols. And the question we could ask is, is it permissible to eat food that was sacrificed to these idols? Because you see what would happen is, back in Corinth, back in Paul's day, People were exposed to this worship, including sacrifice of animals to these gods and things that way. But the meat wouldn't always all get used up when they would do this, and it would get sold to the markets. And it was for some, it was just a social thing to go buy this food. It was no big deal. And to others, it meant a big deal. It would be like worshiping. So we need to get one thing straight as we start, just so we know what we're talking about here. Idol worship is sin, isn't it? Don't get that. We're not saying that idol worship, I mean anything else. Idol worship is sin. The first commandment. I wish you could have been in confirmation class today, right? Because we did a review for the Ten Commandments, and the kids are doing great with that regard. Maybe we should do a review right now. Do you guys have all the commandments memorized, the numbers, and the meanings? Oh boy, I'm seeing a lot of shaking heads the wrong way on that. Um, but the first commandment is thou shalt have no other gods before me. It's very clear in that aspect. And today we have a lot of these things on the side that aren't necessarily sin, but in some people's eyes, they've brought about sin in their lives. I'm going to just throw some of them out at you. Dancing, gambling, the drinking of alcohol, playing cards, going to a movie theater, reading certain authors, etc. and down the line. Now, don't get me wrong. There are things that we need to watch out for. When I was a kid, when my one set of grandparents would come over to visit, we got rid of all our face cards. We moved them into the the one drawer. (laughs) You know why we did that? I didn't understand, but my one, my one grandpa did not want any face cards in the house. <laughs> we played cards a lot. Sorry, your pastor plays pinochle and all sorts of things. But we would move them apart for him because I found out later that my grandpa, when he was growing up in Iowa years ago as a young man, got into gambling. And it caused him to stumble big time. My mom grew up with no face cards or anything that way. But that's why when Grandpa came over, we just moved that. By the way, 
we pulled out the rook cards and we played the same games. <laughs> but we did that for that reason. See, the key to these things is not only in having good knowledge, as Paul will point out, but to have knowledge plus love. If we just have knowledge about the things that are out there, the do's and the don'ts, it can become legalism. Now, don't get me wrong. We need knowledge. I'm a teacher. Knowledge is important. (laughs) But if we just have love and we don't have the knowledge, that's when things can become license to do whatever we want. It can become universalism. It doesn't matter what you do in those type of things. So let's start out here in verses 1 through 8, and let's look at the knowledge part. What does it say in verse 1? It says, we all possess knowledge. And as I told you before, being a teacher, knowledge is power, we say, as an educator. To have the knowledge, to know the facts, to know the things that we're supposed to go. You've maybe had this question asked of you before. Why do we learn history? Or why, why should I have to go through history? A good history teacher gives a good answer, right? It, it, why should we do history? Because you might have to repeat it if you don't learn history. <laughs> Why algebra? As a math teacher, I had that question. And don't get me started, because all of you use algebra, if you ever want to know. Believe it or not. (laughs) But knowledge, it says here, puffs up. Did you catch that in verses 1 and (laughs) 2? We can think we know it all. We might think to ourselves, I've been a Christian longer than that person. (laughs) I've read my Bible more. I know more. (laughs) I'll be honest with you. When I left Bible college years ago, I kind of had that chip on my shoulder when I hit college. And I went to Mayville State University. I kind of had a little bit of that chip on my shoulder. I didn't realize it because I had all this knowledge (laughs) and I wanted to give it out, but sometimes I didn't have the right love for others in that regard. And God had to knock you down a few steps and give you that love for others. It can become arrogance and pride. I mean, look at verse 2 there again. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Paul reminds them, he reminds us, And and he will note this, and and this is a good reminder for us. In Proverbs 16 and 18, it says that pride comes before the fall. Pride goes before the fall. But what does love do? Love builds up. Now let's hit that later, and and we'll hit the need for both of them in a bit. But in verses 4 through 7, What is some of that knowledge that we have? And that's very important, and Paul brings it up. He says, we know that there is one true God. (laughs) I want to read verses 4 through 7 for you from a paraphrase uh, of Scripture, the message. And again, this is a paraphrase of Scripture, but it catches some of the nuances that brings it out, and it talks very straightforwardly as a commentary, so to speak. Reading it here from the message, it says, Some people say quite rightly that idols have no actual existence, that there's nothing to them, that there is no God other than our one God, 
that no matter how many of these so-called gods are named and worshipped, they still don't want to add up to anything but a tall story. They say, again, quite rightly, that there's only one God, the Father, that everything comes from Him and that He wants us to live for Him. Also, they say that there's only one Master, Jesus the Messiah, and that everything is for His sake, including us. Yes, it's true. In strict logic, then, nothing happened to the meat when it was offered up to an idol. It's just like any other meat. I know that, and you know that. But knowing isn't everything. If it becomes everything, some people end up as know-it-alls who treat others as know-nothings. Real knowledge isn't that insensitive. (laughs) Idols equal nothing. That's truth. That's a fact. But the remembering here, Paul is reminding the people in the church of Corinth to be sensitive to others. Not everybody is quite there where they need to be yet at times. Remember, what may be safe for one person may not be safe for another because of his or her different background that they come in. Maybe they have a different temperament. Or maybe a different level of maturity. Our conscience comes into play here, doesn't it? And our conscience should be captive to the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit should be working with that new nature in believers versus that old nature. The truth here, idols do equal nothing. The truth here that he brings out is that the Father is equal to the Son. There is one God. And Jesus Christ is true God. That's important. And the truth is is that God is a God of life. He is the Creator. He is the Redeemer. He is the Sanctifier. If we take the Apostles' Creed and we sum it up, that's what it is. The first article is the article of creation. God the Father. The second part of it is God the Redeemer. Jesus Christ. And the third part is God the Sanctifier, the Holy Spirit. Those three are one. And if you read there and you look again at verse 6 of the text, it says that very thing. Yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things and through whom we exist. God the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live. There is but one Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul brings out that knowledge. And then in verse 8 of the text, he says, food does not bring us near to God. In other words, God does not grade us on our diet. If he did, a lot of us would be in trouble, wouldn't we? God does not grade us on our diet. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit and food itself can become an idol. Gluttony and things like that. The issue here, though, that people were dealing with in Corinth was there was this food that was sacrificed to idols. And if idols are not real, the food doesn't affect things. He's bringing out that knowledge. But then he's putting it together with love. 
How do we treat these people who do have a problem and struggle with this? In verses 9 through 13, that's what we have is the love aspect. But to understand it again, let's go back to verse 1. Love builds up, it says in verse 1. It edifies. Let's face it, and we know we're dealing with a gray area here. But let's face it, this agape love, agape love is the trump card here. And we're talking agape love. Agape means to give your life for. We read it in Scripture, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. We read it, in 1 John 3.16, that's the definition of love. This is how we know what love is, John wrote. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And then we have the application of that very love in John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another. <laughs> Stating it plainly here, we need to see people through God's eyes, to see them the way God sees people. True agape love will seek to do God's will with people. When the times the need to be tough with our love, we need to be tough with it. But we won't quit seeing them the way God sees them. To love God... It says there is to, in verse 3 is equal to being known by God. And if I state it plainly again, to, to love God allows us to love others because we know that God loves you and me. So if we jump back down then to verses 9 through 13 as Paul takes this section, we are to love our neighbor. We are to love others. Let me read verses 9 through 13 out of the message here. Again, a commentary, so to speak, a paraphrase of these verses. It says there, But God does care when you use your freedom carelessly in a way that leads a fellow believer still vulnerable to those old associations to be thrown off track. For instance, say you flaunt your freedom by going to a banquet thrown in honor of idols where the main course is meat sacrificed to idols. Isn't there great danger of someone still struggling over this issue? Someone who looks up to you as knowledgeable and mature sees you go into that banquet? The danger is that he will become terribly confused, maybe even to the point of getting mixed up himself in what his conscience tells him is wrong. Christ gave up his life for that person. Wouldn't you at least be willing to give up going to dinner for him? Because as you say, it doesn't really make any difference. But it does make a difference if you hurt your friend terribly, risking his eternal ruin. When you hurt your friend, you hurt Christ. A free meal here and there isn't worth it at the cost of even one of these weak ones. So never go to those idle-tainted meals if there's any chance it will trip up one of your brothers or sisters. <laughs> Be careful, in other words, how you exercise your freedom. 
the purpose in the freedom, and we have freedoms of a lot of different kinds, but the purpose in giving up that freedom is not is so that you do not cause someone to fall, to stumble, so that you won't be that stumbling block. I came across this thing that has four questions that we should ask about gray areas, and I think this is a good application to some of these things. Maybe four things that we should ask about something that we do. Number one is, does it promote edification? Is this building up the kingdom of God or is it burning down the kingdom of God? (laughs) In the book of Romans, chapter 14, it says says these words in verses 17 through 19. There it says, excuse me here, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy and the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. (laughs) Let's seek to build each other up, in other words. Second question is, can this thing that I'm doing lead to bondage? Can it lead to addiction? When you want to say no, (laughs) but you can't. Um. I came across this thing where a a person said this. He said, I knew a guy when I was in Minot, he said, that told me, he said, I could never become a Christian. And I inquired to him, I said, why? And he said, because there's no freedom. I'd have to give up this and I'd have to give up that. (laughs) And so the man asked him, he said, are you free? If you're so free, he said, then stop doing those activities that you feel to be so liberating if you're free. And he looked at me with a disheartening look because he knew that he couldn't give up those things. So I asked him, or the person said, I asked him, you're not as free as you think you were, are you? It's that old idea we brought up last week. (laughs) To have freedom in Christ is to be free from sin. Not free to do whatever we want. (laughs) So we ask that question, can it lead to bondage? Can it be something that would lead me to an addiction? (laughs) Third thing to ask is, do you have an uneasy conscience about it? In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, do you have that pure heart, that clear conscience, and that sincere faith? <laughs> Does the Holy Spirit indwell you? And there are many good non-Christian people who have a sense of morality. But another indicator with something is if you have a, that you have an unclear conscience about a gray area is if you try to hide it. <laughs> I, I love the way this was put by someone. They said, and this indicator, they said, um, a good test to give yourself is this. Whenever you're doing something, from watching TV to eating or whatever it is, if someone knocks on the door while you're doing it, could you open the door without scurrying around or checking the peephole? <laughs> if you if you are afraid that someone, if you're afraid that someone might see you doing something inside the fellowship or even outside the fellowship that would find out, odds are that what you're doing is probably not right. (laughs) 
The fourth question, can it cause someone else to stumble? (laughs) Imagine you had invited someone over to your home and suppose that there was a skunk outside and something scared it so that it gave off its scent. The smell begins to enter your home. You immediately reach up for your favorite air freshener and you start to spray the room. Your guest begins coughing and can barely breathe. Their throat all of a sudden begins to tighten. They're having an allergic reaction to the spray that you are using. What would you do? A. Would you keep spraying the house until the skunk scent is gone? B, would you stop spraying the house with the freshener and help your friend whatever means necessary to get them to the hospital? C, would you look at your friend and wonder why he or she does not have enough faith to overcome the air freshener? Or D, would you let your friend know you are sorry the air freshener offends them, but you have every right to spray your house to make it smell good? Now, I believe in that situation prayerfully, we would get our friend to the hospital as soon as possible. But unfortunately, this sort of thing happens all the time because of a twisted perception of what it means to be free in Christ. Just because we're free in Christ doesn't mean we can do whatever we want. For example, I have the freedom and the right as an American to go out on the street corner and burn the American flag. I have that freedom in the United States. While doing so, I also have the right under the First Amendment to shout obscenities and racial slurs to everyone of different ethnic groups. (laughs) But just because I have the right, does it make it right? Paul instructs the people here, the believers in Corinth, to be careful with the freedom that's theirs. You can underline that in your Bible there in verse (laughs) 9 of the text. It's right there. Take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block for the weak. I've heard a lot of people say, I am free to do whatever I want to. If other people don't like it, that's their problem. I'm here to inform you that it's not a biblical perspective to maintain in your Christian walk. We are always to be mindful of others. Just think if Jesus was self-absorbed, we'd be in bad shape. Be very mindful that your freedom can cause someone else to sin against Jesus Christ. Your, quote, freedom could lead someone else to be bound by addiction and to be bound by sin. My friend, love builds up. And Jesus Christ, in His grace, And in his mercy, he willingly gave himself for you and me. So that you and I could have true freedom from sin. That we could have true righteousness. May we live in that. May we trust him. And we can only trust because he gives us that opportunity to And he allows us to. All of us deserve to just be zapped by God. (laughs) We are to be judged. 
But God in His grace and mercy offers that opportunity. Ought we not to do the same to our neighbor? (laughs) That's what Paul brings out to the Corinthians. Some straightforward things again. Some simple stuff. (laughs) How we ought to live. But it begins with knowing, yes, that knowledge of who Christ is and what He's done for But to that knowledge becomes, we need to add the love of God as well. Because of the love He's shown to you and me. (laughs) Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word today. And thank You again for what You have done for us. You know each heart here. You know my heart. (laughs) Help us to live in truth. And Lord, do the work in each of our hearts today. Those that, those hearts that are wondering right now, help them to just call to you. And Lord, for those hearts that are struggling with different things, give them that comfort, that encouragement. Help us to, to live in that love for one another. <laughs> to go forward. <laughs> And Lord, I do thank you for the freedoms we have. Help us to use them as you would want us to use them. And those things that we do need to get rid of, Lord, help us with that too, please. So that we can walk in a manner worthy of you. Because of what you have done for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for being our Savior. and Thanks for saving our souls. Help us to trust. Amen.